Glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John 14. So y'all remember it's the last night, Jesus' life, Thursday night. He'll be arrested in a few hours, having his last meal with his disciples. He's washed their feet, and he's told them one of them is going to betray him. They're not sure who. Judas is left. So it's just Jesus and the 11 around the table, and they're having this conversation. So today we're going to look at a question Peter asks, a question Thomas asks, and then a request that Philip makes. So question from Peter, question from Thomas, and a request from Philip. We got to stretch back or reach back into chapter 13 to get Peter's question, but Jesus doesn't answer it until um, fully until chapter 14. So uh, 13:33. my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. So that's, that's like a lightning bolt for them. They followed him around for three years, and now he's saying, it's, it's, we're done. You're not, I'm about to go someplace that you can't come with me. Very troubling to them. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. First question, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? He doesn't care about loving one another. He wants to know where Jesus is going. Jesus' response, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. That's a non-answer. Where I'm going now, you can't follow, but you will follow later. Why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me. Rooms, if it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and make you be with me, excuse me, and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So they hear this. Jesus says, I'm, I'm going someplace and y'all can't come with me. Peter says, where, where are you going? Jesus doesn't really answer. The disciples are upset again. They spent three years following around and, and he tries to comfort them. And he says, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. And that word troubled is a strong word. It's the word used of Jesus, when he's standing outside of Lazarus' tomb, it's not, don't be slightly concerned. It's, don't be deeply upset. Don't be so deeply upset. I need you to trust me. Trust me. I am leaving, but I'm coming back to get you. And I'm leaving and it's to create a permanent place for you. And you know, you know the way. You know the way to where I'm going. That's what Jesus says. And Thomas says this to that. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? That to me is a great question. So Peter says, where are you going? And Jesus doesn't answer. And then he says, you can't follow me. But he also says, you know the way. And Thomas is going, that doesn't make sense. If you can't tell it, if you're not going to tell us where you're going and you're not going to let us follow you, how can you say we know the way? It's a logical question. How can you say we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, You'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus says to Thomas and to the disciples, I'm the way. It's one of those I am statements that we've seen. Jesus revealing some aspect of his identity. He said he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's a gate for the sheep. He's a resurrection in the life. And now he says, I'm the way, the truth in the life. We're going to focus on that word way. That's what's unique in this statement. It's a primary idea. He's talked about being life before We've seen him talk about truth. Way, that's new information. What does that reveal to us about Jesus' identity? I'm the way to
to the, I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. You've heard that verse before. Many of you have. It's easy for us kind of subconsciously over time. Some misconceptions can seep into our mind around what Jesus is saying. When he talks about preparing a place, for many of us, we think, well, that's some kind of, that's a house, some kind of inanimate object. When we think place, we don't necessarily think person, we think, we think place. And when Jesus says way, we don't necessarily think person either, we think map or set of directions. And so we can hear Jesus, not consciously we don't think this, but again, kind of subconsciously over time, what can seep into our mind is Jesus is going to give us a set of directions to a house in heaven. Jesus is going to draw a map so we can to our mansion in heaven. The whole idea of having a mansion in heaven, that comes from these couple of verses. I'm sorry to break it to you, you're not going to get one. Jesus is not a general contractor. He's not up there hammering the nails when somebody begins to follow him. The, the distinction may be subtle, but over time, if what you think Jesus came to do was to give you a map or directions to a house in heaven, not to introduce you to his Father, it's very different in terms of how you're going to relate to him and how you're going to relate to his Father. Jesus didn't, is not building you a house and God is not your landlord. Jesus wants to introduce you to the Father, and the place he's preparing is in his presence. Maybe you've seen a, a movie where somebody, a, a guy, um, goes to like one of those it's like an exclusive club, and you know they're down the back alley, and they do the secret knock on the door, and the man slides back the little peephole, and you can see his eyes, and who are you? And the guy on the other side says, you know, who tells him his name, I don't know you. Well, so-and-so sent me. And then the door opens, and... The person gets to enter this room. That's to me what Jesus is talking about when he says he's the way. He's the the one that gets you into the presence of the Father. He's not a map, and he's certainly not a list of directions. Salvation is not about information. It's about relationship. And what he's saying when he prepares a place, he's not talking about building anybody a house. What he's saying is I'm making you acceptable to the Father. Because of my death and my resurrection, your sins are forgiven, and you can again be reconciled to the Father. You can be back in right relationship with Him. That's what it means for Him to be the way. And and He says He's the only way, which is a, that's a particular statement. That's an exclusive statement. For some of us, that's, it, it seems a bit strong. We don't like the particularity of that. We like the universality of God's love. He loves everybody. He's drawing all people to Himself. We don't like the exclusiveness or the particularity of there's only one way. But the reason there's only one way is Jesus is the only one who can introduce us to the Father because he's the only one who knows him. Buddha can't introduce you to the Father because he doesn't know him. And Muhammad can't introduce you to the Father because he doesn't know him. And Gandhi can't introduce you to the Father because he doesn't know him either. Jesus is the only one who knows him. He's the only one who can make the introduction for us. He's the only one who can get us into the Father's presence. And for some of us, that causes us this kind of spiritual heartburn or maybe emotional because we think of all the people who never have heard the name of Jesus, who's never heard the gospel, and say, well, what's going to happen to them? If God really loves them, then surely he's going to figure out some way. Surely it can't be this narrow. Revelation 7, there's this great picture. Revelation 7, 9, John sees a vision of heaven and around the throne. He said there's a multitude that nobody can count, too many people. Nobody can count them all. 
from every language, from every tribe, from every people, and from every nation. If you think heaven is going to be empty, it's not. It's going to be full. A multitude that nobody can count. And it's not just going to be people who look like us. From every tribe and nation and people and language gathered around the throne, worshiping God day and night. God's love is universal. He so loved the world. The way to him is particular, that he gave his only son. Not that he gave his only son in 17 other world religions, and you can pick which one you like the best. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever believes in something else, no matter how sincerely they believe in it, will not perish but have eternal life. There is a particularity when it comes to the way to the Father. But it's not in order to keep people out. It's in order to bring people in. It's in order to bring people in. 1 Timothy 2, you can see this, the, the, the um, tension that you'll see throughout particularly the New Testament between the universality of God's love and the particularity of salvation only coming through Jesus. This is, the, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Universal, global. But there is one God and one mediator between them. Just one mediator. The man Christ Jesus, particular Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Global. Just in those couple of verses, you see the tension that we live in. And for many of us, where we just have to get is we have to recognize that God loves everybody more than we love anybody. And that he is actively drawing people to himself. The mechanism to me, honestly, is a bit of a mystery. I know my responsibility and your responsibility. Jesus gave it to us in Matthew 28. It's a great commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. All of them. Every people. Every tribe every language, every nation, because that's who's going to be around the throne in heaven. More than we can count. So get moving. Paul in Romans 10, this, these rhetorical questions that he's asking. Well, how do people believe? Well, they only believe if they hear the gospel. Well, how do they hear the gospel? They don't hear unless somebody tells them. Well, who's going to tell them? Only the people who are sent to them. That's why we do mission work. That's why we support missions. It's why we have missionaries all over the world that we support every month. It's why we send people on short-term mission trips so they get a heart for the nations. And then we place people and support people who are placed all around the world in countries where the gospel is not heard, where churches are not on every corner, where it's difficult to have access to the Bible or to even know somebody who knows Jesus. The reason we do that work is because... Revelation 7, 9. There's a great multitude from every language and people and tribe and nation. Because Jesus said, go into all the world. And Paul says, the only way they're going to know is if somebody tells them. And so we want to be people who tell. And people who support people who tell. The way is narrow that leads to life. But that doesn't mean only a few people get to walk on it in terms of the way we think about few. It's a multitude. God loves everybody more than we love anybody. He's actively drawing people to himself. You, you know John 3, 16. You can remember that one. You've already got it in your heart and your mind. He loves the world, global. He gave his son, particular, that everyone who believes in him won't die, but will live forever. And then Philip has a great request then. Okay, 
So if you're going to the, if the Father is the destination, that's what I just heard you say, Jesus. Peter said, where are you going? And you wouldn't tell him. You told us that we couldn't follow you. But now it sounds like you're saying the Father's where, where you're going. So how about this? Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. I have no idea what Philip thinks Jesus is going to do. Like, pull out a picture. I don't know what he wants. Show us the Father. Jesus says, don't you know, Philip? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm, that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So we'll pause there. So Jesus says to Philip, you're saying, show me the Father. I already have. If you've seen me, you've seen him. That's what I've been telling you for three years. If you don't believe what I'm saying, remember all the signs. Water to wine, walking on water, feeding 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish, healing a man born blind, raising Lazarus from the dead. Remember those signs. All of those things should indicate to you, Philip, that it's the Father's the one who sent me. We have family resemblance here. Jesus expands things very truly. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Think about that. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. How about that? We'll close with those two statements. Maybe you call them promises. Everyone who believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And second, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. What's greater than raising somebody from the dead? Nothing. I don't know what's next. Walking on water. Think about the things Jesus did just in John. There's only seven signs, but I mean, who's, you, we can't top those. What does he mean by greater? Maybe not greater in kind, but greater in number. The miracles that Jesus worked while he was on earth, he didn't work because he was divine. He worked because of his relationship with the Father and because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus laid his omnipotence aside when he became a man. He got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired, he could be killed. None of those are characteristics of omnipotence. He laid that aside when he became a man. And the miracles he worked, he didn't work out of his divinity. He worked out of his relationship with the Father. That's what he says in John. I'm doing the things that I see the Father doing. And in Luke, we read that he does what he does because of his, because the Holy Spirit is working through him. So you can, if, if you can hear this for what it is, the Holy Spirit was, quote, confined to working only through Jesus during the time Jesus was on the earth. That's who he worked through. And Jesus had a body just like us. You could only be in one place at one time, so could Jesus. He laid his omnipresence aside when he became a man. You only be in one place at one time. And so no matter what he did, he could only do it in this one location. If he's in Jerusalem, well, then he's not in Cana. If he's in Cana, then he's not in Capernaum. If he's in Capernaum, then he's not in Bethsaida. You can only be in one place at one time, and the Holy Spirit's working through him, through this one body. Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit still works through the body of Jesus, but it's not the physical body. It's the spiritual body, the church with a capital C, made up of all of these physical bodies, hundreds of millions of them all over the earth. So there's, there's more people for the Holy Spirit to work through, if that makes sense. It's not just Jesus. 
He's working through the church, through you and through me and through the, again, hundreds of millions of people who are following Jesus all over the earth. Greater not in kind, greater in number. You can read the book of Acts and you can see it. The Holy Spirit works through Philip and through Stephen and through Peter and through Paul and through many nameless and faceless people all over the world, all at the same time. It's the context that we're living in. Greater, again, not in kind, but in number. Do you live aware of that? That the Holy Spirit wants to work through you. I'm not asking you if you are going to go try to walk on water today. That's not it. But are you aware of the fact that God wants to use you to accomplish His purposes? Just like the Holy Spirit worked through Jesus, same Spirit lives in you if you're following Him. And He wants to work through you. And then Jesus says this, you ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. And we think, anything? Anything, anything? All of these birthday prayers, that's why we do that. Anything? A couple of things, what it means for, what does anything mean? Anything in Jesus' name, he says that. So to do something in Jesus' name is to do something according to his character. It's to ask for the kinds of things that Jesus would ask for. In Jesus' name is not abracadabra. Those are not synonyms. It's not magic words. The reason, if you wonder, why does everybody close their prayers within Jesus' name? It's because he said, I'll give you whatever you ask, and saying, all right, this is what it takes to get what I want. I just put the bumper sticker on the end, the tagline, in Jesus' name. Boom, then you got to give it to me. You're checking a box. To ask for something in Jesus' name is to ask for something according to his character. Just you, you get that. Anybody, if you're doing something in their name, you're doing the types of things that they would do. And Jesus says very explicitly, it's to glorify the Father. He says throughout the Gospel of John, that's what I came to do. I came to honor him. I came to glorify him. That's what I do. So if you ask me to do anything that glorifies him, I'll do it. Because that's what I do. I glorify the Father. So anything that you ask that glorifies or honors the Father, you can count on Jesus saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' timing. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. Prayers get a yes, a no, or a later. What happens to us is oftentimes wait or later becomes no because we quit asking. It doesn't have to be no. It just defaults to no because we stop asking the Lord. When I read through the New Testament in particular, the two things that I see that are necessary for prayer to be effective, one is faith. And that can be mysterious to us. And we think, well, I just don't have enough faith, whatever that means. And Jesus talks about having faith like a mustard seed, which is the smallest thing he can point to that anybody can see. And he says, if you have that much faith, you can say to this mountain, go jump into the sea and it will. If you're asking God for things from your heart, then I believe you're exercising faith. Faith is trust. And if you, from your heart, not just in a rote way, kind of going through your list, but you're engaging your heart when you're praying, and you know what I mean by that. If you're genuinely engaged with God, that to me is trust. That is faith. And the second thing I see is persistence. Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable about a a widow who goes to an unjust judge, and she just wears him out, and eventually he gives her what he wants, not because he's a good guy, but because she just keeps pestering him, for lack of a better word. And Jesus' application is if, 
an unjust judge will do that, how much more will a loving father give justice to his children who cry out to him day and night? Persistence. One of the reasons prayers for us we see as unanswered is because wait becomes no when we quit asking and seeking and knocking. You ask for a thing in Jesus' name. What brings glory and honor to the Father? And then you expect answers in Jesus' time, recognizing it may not be today. We want today. It may not be today. He may be saying, wait to us. And so you keep, ask, you keep asking until it's a clear yes or a clear no. And then in Jesus' way, this is a little ambiguous, maybe a little slippery. Let's see if I can explain it. I feel like oftentimes God answers the heart of our prayers, not necessarily the words. This may be a bit too sensitive. I think about people at the end of their life. When someone gets sick, they're getting older, and we wonder, is this? We want them to be healed, but there's a part of us that thinks, would it be better, honestly, if they just died? Would that be better? What we want is for them to have peace. We want them to, their body to be at rest. We don't want them to be in pain anymore. That's earth, or is it, is it for them to die and go and be with God? This is what Jesus has prepared for them. And so you can pray, God, bring healing to this person. And he may answer the heart of the prayer and not the words, if that makes sense. They may not be physically healed on this earth, but they may be ultimately and completely healed through death. That necessarily mean that we pray for people to die. I think it's always great to pray for people to be healed, and then you leave it to the Lord. Is it, you, you get it. You know what we really want. And so when you pray, I wonder, do you actually know what the desires of your heart are? Not just the words, not just the requests, that's really important. But do you know what's underneath that? Do you know what you really want? I think there's a great example of Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. God, if there's a way, I would love for you to take this cup from me. Like, take it away. That's what I want. That's my request. But what's underneath that is I want your will to be done. That's really what I want. That's, that's what's most fundamental to me. Take away this cup if you can, but if you can't, I'm okay because what's deepest in my heart is for your will to be done. When you pray, do you, do you have a sense of kind of both of those levels? It's not a passive kind of wimpy prayer where you're just saying, God, whatever you want to do, where you're not truly engaging your heart. You're not engaging him as a father. You're kind of abdicating your role as a son or a daughter. You're refusing to engage and just saying, God, whatever you want to do, you can do. Not that. Not a, a demanding, a petulant child. God, this is what I want. If you don't give it to me, I'm out. It's a, it's a genuine recognition. God, this is what I want. This is what I want. I want you to take this cup from me. I want to have a kid. I want this job. I want to get married. Whatever it is, this is what I want. And underneath it, this is my genuine desire. This is what I, this is what I most want. Are you aware of both of those things? And can you hold on to both of those things as you pray? It may be that God will answer the desire of your heart without answering the words that are coming from your lips. I want to take a few minutes and pray as we close, if you would do so with me. Love ministry team, chair up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. You may come in with a need.
And we want to make sure that need is addressed before you leave. A couple of things you may want to be thinking about. I hear people, I don't know if it's genuine or if it's an excuse. Let's say it's genuine. I hear people say the issue, one of the issues they have with Christianity is it's too exclusive. Cuts out too many people. They, you want to, want to soften the exclusive claims of Jesus as the only way. If that's you, if that's a place where you're wrestling, what I found is rather than necessarily trying to tackle that logically and trying to work it through in your head, is to ask the Lord to captivate you with his love. Not just for you, but particularly for the world. Ask God to begin to show you the love that he has for the world. And when you get a glimpse of that, that question kind of fades away. When you realize how much God loves the people that you're thinking about theoretically or hypothetically. They're neither theoretical nor hypothetical to him. He sent his son to die in order to reach them. You may be someone who wrestles with the whole idea of mission. Like, why do we do that? There's enough work here. Why do we go other places? Rather than trying to kind of logic your way into that. Again, same thing. God, captivate me with the love that you have for all of the nations and all of the people and all of the languages and all of the tribes. And as God begins to impress that upon you, I think you'll begin to see missions in a whole new light. So that may be where you want to sit this morning. If that the particularity of Jesus is a stumbling block for you. God, would you begin to captivate me with the love that you have not just for me, but for everybody in this world? And see if that begins to unlock that for you. As you sit there this morning, do you see yourself as someone that God wants to use? Again, I'm not talking about walking on water. Do you see yourself as someone that God wants to work through. I'm not just asking if you're available to be used, but are you intentionally seeking to be used? Are you asking God to use you, to work through you in the place where he has planted you? These greater works, you're a part of that equation if you're following Jesus. You're... you're, you're part of the fulfillment of that promise. Not greater in kind, but greater in number. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you and desires to work through you to bless the people he's placed in your life. And maybe you this morning just want to, as Bo sings, you may want to before the Lord say, I don't live that way. I'm pretty full just with trying to keep up with my own stuff. I'm not qualified. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't pray enough. I've been doing this long enough. Whatever your reason is. And maybe you just want to die to that in your prayer and say to the Lord, I don't just want to be available. I want to ask, God, how do you want to use me in May of 2019? How do you want to work through me right now? How do you want to work through me this week? 
I'm here. That idea of Jesus giving us anything we ask, that can rip a scab off in some of our hearts when we look back and think, he didn't do it. And that seemed like something that would, that would honor the Father. I felt like my heart was good and praying and he didn't answer. He didn't answer the way I wanted. And if that's you this morning, maybe you want to invite the Lord into that and just be honest. Jesus, I'm not sure about that. I felt like I did and I felt like you didn't. And I need you to help me there. That's created a block in our relationship. It's hurt us relationally, and I don't want it to any longer. So I either need you to help me understand or to help me to move forward without understanding, one or the other, but I don't want to get stuck here any longer. I don't want to skip over all of the places that you say you answer prayer or that you're a good father. You may be someone who you're going, I don't even know what I want. I can't even discern my own heart. And you may just want to begin to ask the Lord that. What are the desires of your heart? What are the things that you're asking him on a persistent and consistent basis to do in your life and in the lives of those you love and in the city in which he has placed you? Anything on that list? Do you have a list? Are there things that you're pursuing persistently in prayer? It's kind of a wide open opportunity to respond based on what hits you the most this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray for every man and woman, every child in the room, that you would lead each of us into the place where you mo- that you most want to address in our hearts this morning. And I pray for each one of us that we would be responsive to your leading, that we would recognize your voice and that we would say yes, that we would say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We'll have teams here up in the corners. And I would encourage you to take advantage of them. Something stirred in your heart, let these guys pray with you about that. There's something about having someone agree with you in prayer that helps kind of solidify that and make it a bit more concrete. So you may not feel like, I've got this this burning request. It's okay. Just come forward and let these guys uh, stand with you. And then Bo will dismiss us in about five minutes.